Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. All right, welcome back to the Life and Rhythm podcast. I'm with my friends John Delhuse and John Talley the Third. Yep, that's it. <laughs> you forgot to mention Doctor oh, John Delhuse, the, the Reverend, the Reverend Doctor <laughs> John right. Delhuse. You got to get it right, brother. This is one of my favorite things about John Delhuse that nobody's listening can see, but he always wears the France the. Uh, the Not cross, the Francis. Cross. It is the Francis. Well, yeah, Saint Francis yeah. adopted it because the Pope recommended it, but it's actually a Saint Anthony's cross. Oh. So it goes back to Anthony Early. of Egypt, Egypt yeah. and it's called a Tau cross because it's like the letter T, Tau in Greek. Come so on. yeah, look at that, man. Ooh, bro, <laughs> doctor Anthony. Saint Anthony was the first monk. First desert monk, one of the first desert monks. Yeah, there were there were some uh, hermits before him, but we kind of designate him as the beginning. Yeah, in Egypt. monasticism in so Egypt. He was a, yeah. So he was a he was African. An African. He was an African. Come on, absolutely. That's crazy, bro. I'm so glad to have you both on this. Thank Th- you. Thanks for having for us. taking time. Yeah, out of your day to talk about what is the church and what is the church for. We've been talking with local leaders and international leaders within the church, nonprofits, and asking them two very simple questions that I I feel like is easy enough for a toddler to play in. Mm -hmm. I can talk to my kids about what the church is, but is also deep enough for an elephant to swim in, right? Yeah. So if you could give your best shot at that question, John Talley. So what is the church? And just to... To stir up your imagination a little bit, I'm going to quote Leslie Noob again on on a quote around what the church is. He said, the whole core of biblical history is the story of the calling of a visible community to be God's own people, his royal priesthood on earth, the bearer of his light to the nations. Hmm. So when he thinks about what is the nature of the church, that's what it comes to his mind. Yeah. Kind of poetic. Feel free to. Yeah. 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 What comes to your heart? Well, yeah. Well, first, man, I appreciate you for having us on. Um, and the question, um, I like Newbegin's um, perspective on it. I think that's helpful. Um, when I think about the church, so the frameworks that I kind of think through in this is this. You have the local assembly. You have the local church, like the local church there's many different churches here in, in Arizona, right? Um, you know, Redemption Alhambra, um, Rhythm, um, Roosevelt Community Church, Mm -hmm. you know, gotta give a shout out to the church (laughs) I'm I'm at, you know, uh, but there's local, um, expressions of the body of Christ. Um, so we could say little C church in that regard, but then you also have like maybe the big C church where you have, um, church, uh, followers of Jesus that are covenant together um, and all from all 
you know, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. This is a global aspect of it as well, the global believers that we have uh, all across the world. So in that regard, it's, it's, he uses that word, Newbegin uses that word visible. Um, he uses that word visible. That's right. So in one sense, you can say the church is the invisible aspect of it, um, but then there's the visible aspect of it, right? The invisible is, again, going back to that big C church that yeah. all Christians, all followers of Jesus, past, present, and future. Um, and then the visible is local assemblies covenant together. That's good. Um, I don't know if anybody that we've asked this season has broken out into those two categories. I like that. Little C, local, and then big not C. just the global. I, and you're, uh, yeah, you're stirring up my imagination around, it's not just who's alive on this planet right now. It's historical. Absolutely. And then, I mean, and then from that framework, then, you know, the, you know, people that are covenant together, those that practice the sacraments together, mm. a community together, all those types of things. I think that's important as well. Yeah. That's good. Thanks brother. How about you, John? Yeah, I would say the church is, uh, eschatologically speaking, the last Eve. The last mm. Eve. All right, for those, the, of, those of the people who are not uh, theologically trained, when you say eschatological, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mean something around study of end times. Well, not necessarily. You, what do you, mean? You, you, you know, maybe the easiest way into that would be Paul's teaching on marriage, yeah. Ephesians 5, where he's you know, retelling the creation story. And he says, you know, when he's talking about the the man and the woman becoming one flesh, he says, this is a mystery, which means you need to get underneath the literal sense. Mm. Uh, but mm. I am speaking of Christ and the church. Yeah. So the, the Old Testament can be easily, I think, understood as um, a series of types leading to an antitype or its ultimate fulfillment. So the shadows leading to the ultimate reality. And for a long time, I thought that there was only really one type, which was Jesus. I thought everything pointed to Jesus. But Mm. actually, everything points to a romance. Everything points Mm. to um, not just Jesus, but also um, Eve's uh, ultimate um, antitype, which is the church. So the church is the bride of Christ, you know, to use Pauline language. Wow. And that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> John. Okay. Yeah. So you're um keeping it simple, you know? Yeah, just keeping it <laughs> super simple. So when you think about what is the church, what comes to your mind is this divine romance. Y- yeah, that went, you know, had, you know, bordered on divorce. Mm. Right. Yeah. Hosea, you know, God speaking through Hosea and, you know, Yahweh is seriously considering, you know, uh, marrying someone else. And um, but ultimately decided, even if my wife is unfaithful, I'm going to be faithful. Mm. And Jesus presents his historical ministry as a groom that is reconciling a wayward bride. Yeah. And that would be the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, and then ultimately the Gentiles have been brought in. As God's people. I wonder, I wonder, piggybacking off of that, I wonder, you mentioned the book of Hosea, that crazy, beautiful, minor prophet book. Um, Song of Solomon 
wonder when you talk about this different romance and I know in terms of interpretation, a lot of um, people in history have looked at that yeah. with, you know, God and uh, God's love that he has for the church and Song of Solomon. So when you talk about romance, I wonder just, would you, would you include Song of Solomon in that? Absolutely. As well? Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but there are more commentaries written on the Song of Solomon than any other book of the Bible yeah. in church history. What? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Going back to Aquinas and Bonaventure and um, on and on and on, um, because that was the magnum opus of a theologian's journey. Hmm. Uh, because as they were approaching um, the end of their uh, physical life on Earth, um, they were preparing to have the veil lifted and to be able to see Christ face to face. So like Bernard de Clairvaux, all those folks um, wrote commentaries on the Song of Solomon as the kind of key to understanding the whole Bible. Wow. Wow. Would you say that Jesus was as concerned in his redemption adventure on earth with creating and forming a community as he was the eventual book of that community? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I would say that he was is concerned about. I mean, basically, what Jesus did is he he found his bride, and uh, loved her, and uh, re- you know redeemed her. Um, he's at the right hand of the Father, and now the bride needs to complete the journey, yeah. right? So that there's no stain or wrinkle, uh, like he talks about in Ephesians, and the 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 groom and the bride. That's the climax of the whole Bible in Revelation yeah. twenty one. Can we camp out for a minute on this question that we've been asked as a church over the last few years, mostly because we've gone into a decentralized model where we're only worshiping together once a month, Mm -hmm. and then we're in homes the rest of the month, and people have asked us from time to time, so how do you know if something that is even in a home is considered a church? What constitutes the bride? Mm -hmm. And, And when is it not the bride? When is it not the church. Yeah. What, what comes yeah. to your mind around how do you tell if this is the authentic thing, hmm. the, the, the fullness of it, even if it is in a simple, small yeah. expression, as opposed to like, no, that's, uh, that, that right, kind of right, to me right. isn't the authentic thing. Well, well, I think, um, well, a couple of things regarding that, I think is helpful to know. And from new begins, a definition of the church, um, at least what I had mentioned and for sure with, Dr. Dahuse mentioned, um, it should be noted that the church is not necessarily a building. Yeah. Okay. I know in our culture we say, oh, yeah, do you go to church? Do you go to church? And I, American culture, I can understand why people say that, whatever. But the church is a people. Mm-hmm. The church is a community. The church is the men and women, past, present, and future, um, that have covenanted to God through faith and repentance. So, if we can understand that the church is not a building, it's a people. I think that's one helpful thing. So regarding whether you meet in house churches or not house churches and stuff, whatever, um, if you're meeting in a place <laughs> like where the people to get to people where the people are gathered together, then amen. You know what I mean? Also, we have to look at our American culture and say um, there are many different people around the world our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have the freedom, that don't have the luxury, that don't have the comfort, that don't have the finances that maybe some of us may have here in America. 
and the church is thriving in other parts of the world. So I think it's very short-sighted of us um, as we look through our Western lens to say, okay, 200 people on Sunday, a nice building with some acres on it, uh, smoke machine, all these different things, (laughs) and that's the church. I think that's a very, very Westernized way of looking. And also through church history, um, if we want to be honest, like, Many of the people in church history have met at homes. Yeah, they were yeah. More, no, they were more massive homes. <laughs> you know what I mean? To be very clear. Um, they wasn't. You know, they were massive homes because you know, but they had large courtyards and, and and things like that. So I think if we want to be consistent with with with, with history and with scripture, I think um, we can't get into this. The church is a building. Is it's a people, and when, wherever you meet. In one sense, yeah, it's, it's, amen, yeah. it's the church. Somebody a while back said uh, this small phrase is stuck with our community of, it. it's not primarily a building, it is a family, and scripture's presented I like that. as a family. I like that. And it's not an activity or an event so much as it's an identity. Mm. It's, it is what the Lord is calling us. And I think that he was using, when you look at the original languages too, he's using contextual language that they get. When he says ecclesia, you know, the Greek. That's right. He's not just saying that because he's making up a word. He's saying that because it's sticky to them. Mm. It's it's contextual. They would understand to them. it, yeah. And that is, and going back to what you said, I, I agree that I don't think it matters so much what kind of building it's housed in, so much as um, is the deposit of the Holy Spirit in that community. That mm-hmm. that to me is a huge mark of authenticity. But how do you? You can't even autopsy that. Here, let me get behind the and <laughs> see if you have the Holy Spirit. My, I mean. <laughs> Minus the fruit of the spirit, I could say, what's your character? Sure. Are, is this community one of love? Is it one of joy? Is it one of forgiveness? Does it have patience? Does it care about justice? Is, is mm. reconciliation a part of it? Do they love their enemies? Are they a wow. generous community? You can tell by some of the fruit, but I think one of the primary things that Jesus did on the planet was say to other people, man, it looks like you have fruit, but that's not real fruit. That's not... That, that's a whitewashed tomb or that's mm-hmm. a, I mean that you can look on the outside even sometimes like it's the real thing. Only God gets to judge that. I'm not saying let's be the judge. Sure. Sure. I'm just saying, can we clarify what is, what's some of the essence of it? And just for the record, you know, the years that we have spent not meeting every Sunday morning as rhythm, we've had countless friends put their hand on our shoulder and say, would you consider going back to Sunday morning and meeting in a building and doing a worship service. And my response is usually something like, yeah, we're not, we're not against that. We hold that open handed before the Lord and COVID gave us the opportunity mm-hmm. to, I mean, we, we welcomed the disruption of COVID and we said, we're kind of grateful for it. Let's experiment with hmm. these disciple making communities, these formational communities. Let's see how this pans out. But we were never anti Sunday morning or anti building. And I think sometimes, sometimes house churches can come across that way yeah yeah yeah. that's not our posture but john what do you think brother yeah yeah well i think to use another pauline metaphor temple yeah right and 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 so i am the church because i am a temple and the three of us here are the church we are the temple Mm -hmm. and uh, the assembled groups of families uh around the world are temple and um like many scholars that are reading the creation story in Genesis, they see now that when God created the heavens and the earth, he intended that to be a temple. Wow. 
Um, and then the Garden of Eden was meant to be the Holy of Holies within that temple of a place of connection between creator and creation and God and and Adam and Eve. And, and so, you know, continuing the idea of the church being Eve and uh, Christ being Adam, wow. right? The, the church is where we're engaged in that priestly work, mm-hmm. right, of caring for creation. And, and you mentioned the reconciliation piece. The, what'd you say, brother? Holy nation, royal priesthood. Holy nation, royal priesthood, all that stuff in First Peter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I maybe maybe in the West, you know, we needed to recalibrate some things. And and I hear you, brother Matt. You know, you're you're not wanting to be reactionary to the church buildings and all that, but but the idea of, I mean, how are we engaged in reconciling work when we're stuck in a building somewhere? especially if the neighborhood is even aware of what you're doing. Mm. And so the idea of maybe, you know, putting a pause on gathering every single Sunday, which is sort of a reflex that the church has been involved in now for centuries and centuries and centuries and kind of reconceptualizing church as what they're doing, you know, as as a priest, um, but staying connected, right? You know, staying connected to one another, I think, that's what family is, 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 mm. is that connection. And of course the connections, the Holy spirit. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. But it's also our accountability to one another, you know? So I, I'd say, you know, as long as there's some kind of accountability in a person's life where they're accountable to other brothers and sisters, um, you can make an, I think you can make an argument that that is church. Yeah. I'm reminded of that. Um, the book of acts, acts chapter two, mm. and a lot of talk about, the Holy Spirit. And I know that the Holy Spirit tends to get treated like, you know, uh, tends to get neglected mm-hmm. a lot, you know, in church circles for That's some, a good word. for some, yeah, neglected. And I think that the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity, um, is, it's hard. I don't know if, if the most active is the word to use, but I think that he should get much more credit. Than yeah. we tend to think about when someone comes to faith in Christ, they're being regenerated <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like He's the one convicting, He's the one uh, making them into a new creation, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's conforming us to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, like in terms of that, we have to talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of it being indwelled mm-hmm. in men and women um, that are covenant together. In Acts chapter 2, we see how the Holy Spirit just, it comes, and mm-hmm. people are changed and transformed. Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people get saved. We've all preached before. I don't think any of us have had 3,000 people get saved. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Um, that would be awesome, yeah. by the way, if it ever happens. <laughs> but that's, like, amazing, but that's power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, you see, um, you know, what a community really looks like, right? Of course, they're breaking bread, they're sharing, they're praying, they're being devoted to the teaching, the apostles' teaching, and all these things like that. So, I think that is church. Um, that that that's church family behavior that yeah. we see in that Acts chapter two, forty two um, verse. That also, I think, when you talk about the different fruit of things that what we can see, because of course, God is the ultimate judge, but Thing that we can see, I think those are some markers along with your passage in uh, Galatians 5. Yeah, as well, he is the primary agent 
of change. God is the primary Absolutely. agent of change, which is an anti-American sentiment of just, we believe that we're the primary agent. We got to convince God to do certain things. And instead of us cooperating with him, we're inviting him to cooperate with us, which I think he is as gracious uh, and merciful to the point where he sometimes does like say, all right, you want to go that way? I'll go with you that way. Mm. But I also think he, he wants us to be primarily concerned with what he's up to. Not, mm. not in trying to coerce him towards our agendas, but towards his. And I think that takes silence and solitude. I think it takes uh, prayerfulness and rhythms of waiting on him and being patient with him. And, and I think anxiety starts to go a little bit away mm-hmm. when we start to understand, because moving into the mission of the church, when we start to understand the mission of the church, what the church is for, what's the purpose of the church, mm. going into Acts 2, what did the Spirit move that community into? What did, what did the Spirit do with Jesus, with the person of Jesus? I am convinced that Jesus was a person fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. I think he was showing his disciples, this is what it looks like to depend on the Holy Spirit, to be fully human, humble myself, mm. and rely. And that's why I think he's in certain spots where he's like, I wish I could do a miracle in this place, but I can't do a miracle because mm-hmm. they lack faith. It's not mm-hmm. that Jesus lacked the power. Mm-hmm. He had the Holy Spirit in him. It's that there was a cooperative peace in that. And so when you think about the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, um, I, I would love to kind of phrase this question a little differently than I have in the past with you two and ask what does it look like to live out the mission of the church with the church? Like, what does it look like our posture towards one another, the one another's is scripture, but also what does it look like for those who are not yet members of the family? Mm. If we exist as a, as a new society of God's people, what does it look like to be for it for the sake of the world? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mission of the church. I feel like that gets a lot. Some people get, um, there are many different perspectives, I should say, that I think people have when it comes to that. I think generally speaking, mission of the church is to, is to make disciples. You know, I think Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I think that's very, generally speaking, I think that's the mission of the, the church. How do we make disciples? Seems like in that passage, teaching, teaching them. And also baptizing. I think to break it down to more specifics and get to the the specific nature of it, because that's general, right? Make disciples. I guess the question is, okay, so what does it look like to make disciples then? And what does it look like to make disciples in a particular context? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, as you break it down, then it's like, oh, okay. And then we start thinking about different topics, different subjects, Okay, is that part of disciple making? Um, to make it plain, is teaching about racism. Mm-hmm. Is that a part of disciple making? If we're taught to teach everything that Christ has commanded, mm-hmm. yeah, all right, and we believe in the whole counsel of God, seems like James too has some conversations about mm-hmm. partiality. Mm-hmm. So it. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, okay. yeah. so, cause I hear people say, oh, well the church, we don't need to talk about race. We don't need to talk about any of that. We just need to make disciples. Well, <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that's why, or should we, should the church be about, um, you know, um, 
digging wells in, 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 in Uganda? Or should the church be about soup kitchens? Or like all these different things. I hold to like, generally speaking, let's make disciples. But there's a proclamation aspect. Absolutely. Preach Christ alone. Right? The gospel. The good news of salvation. That is a must. So there's a proclamational aspect. But I think there's a demonstrational aspect as well where we have to demonstrate that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And what does that look like more specifically? Because loving our neighbor, that's general too, right? Mm -hmm. So in a particular context, in a particular situation, what does it look like to love your neighbor? If you live in a state that has a lot of immigrants, Mm -hmm. what does the church have to say about certain situations and certain policies and certain stuff that may not favor our neighbor when... The yeah. Bible does have a lot to say about welcoming the foreigner, welcoming the stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. when we start to really like use the Bible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and press <laughs> into specifics versus just general, then I think sometimes that's where some other Christians and churches and institutions, they get a little, whoa, 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 whoa hold on. Yeah. I think that was Newbegin's problem when he got back from India. I think that was his primary issue with the church coming back after what, 30 years of being in India. He, he was asking that question, how did the gospel get so privatized? How did it move mm. outside of the public realm of all these issues that matter to the Lord? Yes. They matter. Everything that you just said, reconciliation, racism, that matters to the Lord. And you can easily see that if you're looking for it. You can also easily ignore it mm. if you're looking to ignore it. And I like Esau McCauley's book, Reading Reading while black. Reading while black. I love that book. I was yeah, just rereading book. that book, where book. he where he talks about growing up. He had a hard time finding black theologians mm. that he could read, commentators that he could read, and researching that. He said, going back into civil rights and before that, it was really easy to see. Uh, it was really easy to see sermons from slave owners on servants obey your masters, and they emphasized that. Mm-hmm. That was the good news for them. Well, you need to obey. And he said, but you could also see slaves during that time emphasizing the Exodus story and liberation mm-hmm. yeah, and reading the whole narrative freedom, of scripture yeah. and freedom. And so just, yeah, paying attention to the contextualization of mission, where we're at. I like what Dallas Willard says when he says, surely to make disciples, we have to be one mm-hmm. in the context in which we're in. Yeah, that's good. What's start? You're you're like stern in your seat over there, brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I just I really appreciate what you guys are both saying, and um, I think I think you can see that in Ephesians. You know, like you mentioned, these slave owners in the South, quoting out of the back end of Ephesians uh, without reading the first half of the book. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe missing the point that the slave master relationship there was not even rooted in scripture. Cause Paul wow. doesn't even quote any scripture in that passage, even though he quotes scripture for the marriage and for the children. Wow. Right. There were no slaves in Eden, wow. you know, just going back to, <laughs> Man. you know, in, in yeah. Ephesians two, right. You see us becoming members of the church, right. Where we're saved by grace, not by works. But then we're told in Ephesians 2, 9 that we're saved for good works. Come on. That's yep. the mission of the church. Now, what is the good works? Well, in the very next verse, verse 10, there's a therefore there. 
and it gets right into reconciliation. Wow. That's the work. That's the primary work. And Paul begins by talking about the racist tensions between Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles calling the Jews acrobustia, literally foreskins. Mm. And and <laughs> and the wow. Gentiles had their own <laughs> things that they would say towards the Jews. And 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 here Jesus is saying uh, Christ has broken down these barriers, right? But now we have to implement them with a willingness to be uncomfortable and to, you know, when John was sharing about the Holy Spirit's ministry, I I, I was seeing the Holy Spirit like walking, like uh, coming up to someone new to a church and just kind of putting his arm around him and saying, mm. "Come, let let me let me introduce you to everybody. Yeah. Right? Let me let yeah. me bring you in to this family. Let me bring you into this community." And Matt, when you're talking about the rhythms of silence and presence, you know, it's just that sensitivity to notice when the Holy Spirit wants to bring new folks into the family, wow. right? And and opening the doors to that and being hospitable and loving and and and. Yeah, and when and when we're doing those things, for those that are non-Christian, for those that are the church, those that have church hurt, mm. whatever the case may be for them, when they see that, I believe um, at times the Holy Spirit is at work. Yeah, to show them here's a better family. That's right. Right. Or here's a new family, and that is attractive to people that maybe have not had that before, right? And when they get smacked with the Holy Spirit, it really it, it really changes people. It really transforms lives. Yeah. Um, so going back to this whole thing with the mission of the church, yes, um, proclamation, demonstration, but the Bible also talks about the people of God being a light to the nations, mm-hmm. being salt and light, mm-hmm. being city on a hill, mm-hmm all these types of things that distinct from the surrounding nations around them in such a way that the surrounding nations can look and say, Oh man, I want some of that mm-hmm. because I can't, I'm not getting it here Yeah, or it's not good or it's destructive or whatever the case is. Right. So I just think that um, God's plan is to use his people to be about his kingdom work. Yeah, that's a good one. And when we do that, the whole world literally turn on its head. I mean, yeah. look at the look at the 12 disciples that Jesus had and mm-hmm. we're sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona, downtown um because of this message. That's right. We're all we're brothers in the Lord because of this message, yeah. right? Because yeah. of Jesus. Um so I get I, I get really passionate about the mission of the church and um because I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary arguing <laughs> yeah. about about what it is and like let's use that same energy, that time, that brain energy, those words to go reach people. Yeah. It seemed like uh the early church did a really good job. I mean, how many councils were there, John? You could probably say there's probably seven councils, yeah, ecumenical councils, yeah. um, before the split. And but they seemed very patient about making sure they were working out all the questions they had in concert with one another, in unity with each other. 
Whereas when I get into a meeting or a disagreement with somebody, I kind of want to solve it in the meeting. I don't want to wait another 50 years <laughs> to solve it in the next ecumenical council. Uh, <laughs> and yet some of the things that divide Christians are over a millennium old. That's right. You know, that's mm. right. We, we learn patience from some of those older traditions. <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. 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 So talk to me about, um, a little about your own context, because I know, you know, John Del Husay here, he's with Redemption Alhambra. Yeah. Yeah. John Talley here is, is with Roosevelt. So in what ways do you get to experience on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, being that light to the nations? Like what stories of the church living out its purpose and its essence have captured you in this last season? Going through this last season of not just COVID, but just life in 2022. Mm-hmm. What's that been like in flesh and blood? How's that fleshed out? Man, there's there's a couple of different things I can say. Um, I'll say this. Uh, one, um, we are downtown Phoenix, so this is the arts district in the sense that a lot of creatives, a lot of art. You can drive around downtown and you can see that it's a creative spot. And... Um, as a plug for um, the artwork, the art mural that we have on our wall um, in our parking lot, uh, you mentioned that Esau Macaulay, you know, at one point in his life couldn't think of um, black theologians. Mm-hmm. On our mural, um, shout out to Just Created, um, Giovanni. Um, he painted a mural of um, three African-American leaders in some form or some fashion on our wall. Um, Francis Grimke, who was a Presbyterian minister, um, graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary as well. Very, very um, intellectual, solid pastor in D.C. uh, way back in the day. He's on there. Um, Gardner C. Taylor. Um, Gardner C. Taylor is known as the Dean of Preaching. Um, One of the most profound preachers of the 20th century. Um, and then we have Ralph Afanafi, who was a civil rights leader. Um, so anyways, um, we have people, some of them are Christian, some of them are non-Christian that I've had conversations with already about this artwork. And they're asking questions, who is this guy? And I get to tell them, oh, he was a pastor. <laughs> and not to mention, I don't know if you see the quotes on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has. They have quotes speaking about what For I preaching. just mentioned: proclamation <laughs> and demonstration. Yeah, specifically in the area of racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, that's one way in terms of us being a light is mm-hmm. because we're in the artsy district. We can able to contextualize and yeah. put dope art up in such a way that people ask questions, and then now we can be able to hit them with the gospel. Um, and have dope art that they can actually, not cheesy, corny art, but dope art that's actually like, yo, this is dope. So that's one way. Um, Man. um, No, I think, dude, Roosevelt's done that better than most I've ever seen is contextualization with, you've lived into the art of listening to your neighborhood and responding with not just just proclaiming the good news, but demonstrating it. Yeah in the ways that people can receive it as good news. If you said, we're in an art session, who cares about that? We're going to do our own thing. I, I think most churches, when they talk about mission, it's their thing. 
it didn't come out from a place of listening hmm. and noticing what is the culture around me. It came from a place of this is what we want to do in the world. This kind of imperialistic in a lot of ways. This is how we're going right, to conquer yeah. culture, not appreciate the beauty of culture and the hints of the gospel and the good news that God is already in. And then, and then unveiling that, revealing it, having a revelation of that beauty in a deeper sense with the gospel, with the good mm-hmm. news, which is what y'all are doing, dude. It's beautiful. Yeah. And that's just, that's just one way. I'm sure. Yeah. That's I mean, great. I can, I could probably be here, be here all day talking, yeah. but mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's just one specific way. Um, well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit started to diversify Redemption Alhambra about 12 years ago. So we're, you know, around a third white, a third brown, a third black. And, and that was the Lord bringing people together um, with all from George Floyd and everything over the last couple of years. Um, a lot of people have exited redemption churchwide. And that was something that affected us as a local body as well. But um, we show up. You know, there's, there's something about like not leaving the conversation when it becomes uncomfortable, yeah. um, mm. but listening to your brothers and sisters and creating a safe space where um, their voices are heard. And, um, and, 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 and that's, that's, that's where I see us hopefully showing forth some of the beauty of what is possible in our culture and, and our, our next work right now is we're, we're taking a real close look at um, affirming women in ministry mm-hmm. um, and attending to the male-female. Um, and um, historically, we're a complementarian church, but we operate with the idea that complementarian means we need everyone. right i mean there's some really bizarre notions of complementarianism which is like silencing half the church um yeah and Mm. so you know we're we're looking at ways to affirm women we're we're looking at ways to um ordain women to ministries um to uh give them voice to give them opportunities to teach and to speak prophetically uh, to the whole body, but I'll, I'll say um, we have a number of women who are mm. egalitarian in our church, and they have chosen to be in a church with male elders. <laughs> mm. You know, and how that works, having been in this whole complementarian egalitarian war yeah. for the last twenty wow. years, and actually switching sides not too long ago yeah. on that, or my understanding, um, it's a beautiful thing to have. Um, uh, to have egalitarians that feel comfortable in our community, in our church, they, that they're respected and that they're speaking out I of their that. gifts, um, but can still see elders as having a kind of fatherly, encouraging role. And we haven't worked out all the issues. There's a lot we're praying through, and but um, it's something I celebrate. Mm. It takes a deep commitment to the community of people you're in to continue to be in that community when you disagree with some of their views. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Showing up, showing Just keep, keep up. coming. I like, yeah. <laughs> I Don't walk away. Uh, yeah, Howard Thurman. <laughs> yeah, in his book, this uh, disciplines of the spirit, where he talks about commitment being the doorway into all the other disciplines. Right. And so, I would just love for John, if you would pray for us as a, as communities of churches, whoever's listening to this, for that deep level 
of love and commitment towards not just um, the purpose of the church, but the essence of the church, that we could live into that, be committed to that, whatever our expression is, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we um, have been uh, sharing with one another in your presence by the Spirit in your Son. And um, Lord, we celebrate the diverse unity uh, that you as Trinity um, have uh, wanted to reflect in us as the Imago Dei of being created in your image, yeah. both individually, but also uh, communally. And um, our prayer is that um, some of what we've been sharing would encourage a brother or sister to continue mm. to be faithful, Lord, in that work, to keep showing up, to, to, to let your call to unity be deeper than their offenses. Yes, Lord. yes, Lord. Um, and to be willing to be uncomfortable uh, for the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed everything for us. So it's in that name, Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, who we trust for our salvation, um, that we come before you. And it's in his name that we say, amen. 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 Thank you, fellas. Yeah, brother. Thanks. mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.